Welcome to this episode of the Disease Du Jour podcast on the topic of equine eye ulcers with Dr. Ann Dwyer of Genesee Valley Equine Clinic in New York. I'm your host, Kim Brown, publisher of Equimanagement. The Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you in 2022 by Merck Animal Health. Dr. Dwyer has practiced at Genesee Valley Equine Clinic since earning her veterinary degree from Cornell in 1983. During her career, she's pursued interests in equine ophthalmology. She lectures nationally and internationally and has published multiple papers and book chapters on equine ophthalmology, including Ophthalmic Emergencies in the Field, published this year. And for those of you listening to the podcast, if you want to go to equimanagement.com and look for the article that goes along with this podcast, we provide a link to that paper. In 2012, she was named an honorary member of the American College of Veterinary Ophthalmology. Dr. Dwyer served as the 2013 AAEP president and currently is vice chair of the advisory council for the veterinary college at Cornell, is a member of the Cornell's wide committee that allocates funds for equine research, and she's on AVMA's Council on Education. Welcome, Dr. Dwyer. Hello. In episode 70 of Disease Is Your podcast that we mentioned earlier, we talked to you about ophthalmic emergencies. And if our listeners didn't catch that one, there's a lot of great tips in there from Dr. Dwyer. And we know that corneal ulcers are on that list of ophthalmic emergencies. But can you help our veterinarians and our audience and our techs and our maybe students? What is a corneal ulcer? Before we discuss what a corneal ulcer is, let's just take a little review of what the cornea is. Uh, And then we'll talk about what happens when it gets traumatized or eroded. The cornea is just about one millimeter thick, uh, only a little bit thicker than a credit card. But it has a fairly complex structure, and the layers of the cornea are key in order to understand the different pathologies that occur. So a quick little review, the top 15% is epithelium, which is like epithelium anywhere. It's like a little stone wall of cells, layers built on top of each other. But and that is um, found uh, underneath that is a basement membrane. Beneath that is the bulk of that credit card thickness, the stroma. And that's about 82% of that one millimeter. And the stroma is layers of mostly um, collagen that are in parallel uh, sheets uh, at right angles to each other with very few cells. So the stroma is very different from the epithelium. At the bottom of that, almost to the inside of the eye, is decimase membrane, another basement membrane. And underneath that is one layer of cells. Remember, just one layer of cells, the endothelium. And uh, understanding corneal ulcers, we need to characterize which of those layers are involved. Most veterinarians call an ulcer any disruption in the cornea, but really there's a little different terminology that you should know. An erosion is a superficial uh, injury to the cornea involving only the upper layers of the epithelium. Uh, An ulcer is a deeper um, trauma or defect in the cornea and can involve the stroma or can actually go all the way down to decimase membrane, which is about 97% um, into that credit card thickness. So are corneal erosions and ulcers a common problem in horses? 
unbelievably common. And I'm probably not telling the veterinarians listening anything they don't know, but I do have some stats for you that may uh, help you explain these things to your clients. They are the most common ocular problem seen. Uh, I actually quantified in our practice um, uh, the number of corneal, corneal ulcers um, and the number of ocular emergencies we see in the course of a year. And I was surprised to see that eyes represented 16 to 21% of all emergencies. So that's basically about one out of every five emergency calls uh, with an increase in frequency in the fall. Of those, over five years, we saw uh, 557 urgent ocular visits in our practice, and 380 of those were corneal ulcers. So by far, they are a very, very common um, urgent problem that needs to be seen. Wow, that is, that's, that's kind of eye-opening. Sorry. For <laughs> so... Tell me, you know, what signs does a horse show if it has a corneal ulcer? So maybe when a horse owner calls and says, oh, my gosh, my horse is squinting or eye watering or something. You know, what are some of the, you know, clinical signs that maybe oh. can help? Most of the time, the client does recognize that the horse has a problem because the horse really tells you when there's something wrong with its eye. None of these signs are pathognomonic for uh, an ulcer, but definitely you know there is a problem because the horse has blepharospasm, tearing, aversion to handling that eye, and if you can see the surface of the uh, of the uh, of the globe, the owner may be able to perceive a color change. Uh, there may be some lid lid swelling, and often there is ocular discharge. A small percentage of corneal ulcers do not present with pain. Uh, so those may present in a more chronic stage, but most of them do. And a very, very severe case, uh, you can't miss because that cornea will be melting right out of the eyelid aperture onto the face. Oh, that's, that's scary. So when you go to the farm, how do you examine a horse to see if an ulcer is present? I would refer everyone back to my emergency podcast because I went into this in detail, but let me give you an overview. First of all, I think every ambulatory truck should have an eye kit that's got supplies for examining and testing the ocular surface because this is such a common problem and it's really easiest to have everything collected. Um, most of the time, horses getting a corneal ulcer exam are going to need sedation. I tend to use xylazine more than dormosedan if the horse isn't too painful, but certainly if it's a serious problem, I'm going to reach for my dorm. And I'm going to do a, an auriculopalpebral block to uh, block the motor, block that blepharospasm. Sometimes a frontal block too, but definitely always in reticulopebral block. You need a dark area and you need a bright light. So bring the horse into the barn, into the stall, cover the windows if need be. Uh, you can generally um, diagnose these very well with just the transilluminator um, attachment that goes on your direct ophthalmoscope. And if you are lucky enough to have a slit lamp, you definitely want that brought in. 
I advise bringing in a camera because I photograph all cases that's needed if a case goes south. And I take the time to have the client build some head support, stack up some bales or a recycling bin or something to put their, their the horse's mandible on. Even if the problem is obvious, you do want to do a full exam of both eyes. Um, and then you want to apply stain to the ocular surface. Um, the fluorescein stain can either be um, applied directly with the paper on the conjunctiva using the tears to, uh, to dilute the dye that's on the fluorescein, or you can tear off that dye strip, uh, put it in a 3cc syringe. Don't dilute it too much. I would not use more than a cc of saline in the syringe just because you don't want it to dilute and spray it on through a broken off needle of a 25 gauge needle. Um, still attached to the syringe. Um, for all ulcers that are more than just a simple surface erosion, and those would be ulcers that have infiltrate vessels, melting or chronics, severe pain, um, you should consider a culture and sensitivity and definitely take cytology sample. Um, I am a big photographer. I take photos before and after uh, staining. And then generally, you're not going to know uh, all your diagnostic test results at the farm call, but you are going to be instituting some kind of empiric therapy and adjusting it once you see your cytology results. The biggest thing for the veterinarian to do is judge the depth of the ulcer and how chronic it is. If it's on the surface, it may be something very simple to treat. If it's down into the stroma, you're into a whole different ballgame. So you advise taking the cytology sample on most cases. How and why do you do that and what information does all that add to your plan? First, I'm going to describe how you do it. And I'm also going to refer your listeners to the 2017 AAEP annual meeting proceedings, because there is a very detailed article with great illustrations in there that I happen to write uh, about how to um, uh, obtain and interpret cytology examples, because I think this is something where you need some pictures. But here's what you do. Uh, the horse is already sedated and blocked for your exam, but then it needs a topical anesthetic, uh, generally preparacane, uh, about mm, half a cc is enough usually, sprayed onto the surface of the eye through a syringe. And then you want to use either a cyto brush or the blunt end of a scalpel blade, being careful to cover the sharp end with the foil wrapper to obtain the sample. And the technique for that is detailed in the article I just referred to. I would take uh, enough of a sample to transfer to three labeled glass slides that might uh, involve now six or seven um, episodes of scraping the surface of the of the lesion and then I would put the slides in a slotted plastic box let them air dry take them home to the practice and I strongly advise not sending them off to a laboratory but dip quicking them the same day and reading them that night for uh, same day results or at the latest the next morning you really need to jump the gun on treating serious eye disease and you need your information back quickly. I don't really have time to wait for the lab turnaround on this. Plus, it's pretty simple to do the interpretation. Um, you're, if you think about it, the cells on the slide, if it was normal, the only thing you should see 
are epithelial cells. So if you feel a little uncertain about interpreting um, the slides, just think of that. That looks like a bunch of fried eggs on the slide. And if there are no other findings, the ulcer might be what we call an indolent ulcer, meaning something that uh, isn't healing if it's got any chronicity. In some cases, the surface disruption may not have occurred from the outside, but rather it represents a blistering from the inside uh, if the eye has glaucoma, uveitis, or endotheliitis. So those would be two instances where you might see very normal cytology, but still have a problem that's a big one for the horse. Or maybe you get to get lucky and you uh, have your diagnosis right there on the on the slide. And there's a picture in my article of a burdock bristle embedded in a raft of epithelial cells. So obviously that was what was causing the problem. You might see blue mineral crystals on the slide because they're basophilic. They stain with the blue of the, uh, the diffquick. That would be an unusual problem called calcific keratopathy. Or you might, if it's a, a nasty problem, see a lot of neutrophils, a lot of debris, and a combination of raspberry-like eosinophils and pink refractile granules that represent ruptured eosinophils. If, uh, if that's on the slide, then you also have your diagnosis right there. It's eosinophilic keratitis. Or... Uh, if it's a, um, a very serious problem, you may see massive numbers of neutrophils plus obvious pathogens. And then if you see those pathogens, you know you've got an infected ulcer. If it's bacterial, uh, you're going to see the little buggers right there on the slide. Um, they're going to be either rods or cocci, either single or in pairs or chains. We all know how to find those. And you want to characterize whether they're intracellular or extracellular. Or if you really want to, want to have uh, uh, not a very good day, you may see tangles of fungal hyphae and know you're in for a rough ride trying to fix a fungal keratitis. But the important thing is you're getting the information back right away and you can institute treatment that is tailored to the evidence of the disease. Um, I would also mention that uh, in that same 2017 AAEP proceedings, there was a whole section on ophthalmology, and there's an excellent article in there by Dr. Catherine Nunnery that describes all the things that I just mentioned in detail, um, along with pictures and uh, advice on treatment. Um, so that's a paper on how to diagnose and treat the variety of ulcers. That would be a nice compliment to this podcast for your listeners. Oh, that's good. We always like references to be able to go back and check. So I understand that cytology reveals that not all ulcers are the same. So let's go down this list from the simple to the complex and, and see how you diagnose and treat the different kinds of ulcers. And can we start with the simple superficial erosion? Sure. I mentioned earlier that out of 557 um, uh, ocular urgent problems our practice saw over a five-year period, 380 of them were had a diagnosis code of a corneal ulcer. And I was not able to break down how many of those were superficial, but my gut says 
at least half of them were because the most common thing you're going to see is an abrasion, a horse that's just dinged its eye a little bit and not really a big problem if you take care of it promptly and you don't get into any complications. Horses have such big eyes and they live a life where uh, it's a little bit hazardous to them. So that's one of the reasons why you see these so commonly. Uh, so what you appreciate is a very small, shallow defect. And if it's really shallow, when you put the stain on it, it may just stain weakly. And that may mean that only a few layers of those, so maybe eight, eight piled on layers of epithelial cells have been um, traumatized. And if you um, are lucky and you treat these properly and the owner is compliant, these can heal incredibly fast. Uh, there's a very interesting cascade of what happens, um, a lot of molecular biology going on here. The, the damaged cells quickly get degraded and the healthy edge of that stone wall of epithelium lifts up and the cells know how to flatten and migrate and then multiply. And they have this amazing thing where they tether to the surface by throwing out little strands, sticky type strands and crawl over each other like leapfrogs um, as, they, as they go through mitotic replication. And they can cover a defect at a rate of 0.6 millimeters per day. That's very important for your, your, your listeners to hear because let's just say you've got a three millimeter um, defect. That is something that should be able to heal if it's an uncomplicated situation in five days. Um, it doesn't heal with a thickness of epithelium that is the same as um, healthy epithelium. It just heals with a very thin layer. And then over time, there's more multiplication and the, the facet fills in. But it's at least covered up. So if you see one of these, you don't really want to make a federal case out of it. It wouldn't be a one I would take cytology on, probably. Um, you can use a topical broad-spectrum antibiotic. Do not reach for your big guns here, just something broad-spectrum. We'll talk about that later. And uh, a midriatic if the pupil is constricted at all. And you might choose a systemic uh, NSAID for a few days. Uh, recheck in one week. Um, some people also add serum to that regimen. Um, that would depend on the size and the, and the um, acuteness of it in my hands. And I would definitely, though, tell the, the client to call if that horse was not comfortable in a few days. But these are really fun to treat because you just feel like a magician. Uh, you go back and Eureka, they're all filled in. Okay, well, that sounds very good. So let's go a little, little farther now. So what about indolent ulcers? So okay. these are, uh, they're superficial, but they don't heal. Yes. Um, these, you, you really can't diagnose on a first visit because an indolent ulcer on a first visit is just going to be judged a superficial erosion um, unless it's been, been there for several weeks. Uh, so I would start with something that was a superficial ulcer with the, the same strategy that I just, um, uh, just described. Um, but be aware that in older individuals and in some individuals that even are middle-aged, 
We have a problem with the epithelium adhering through the basement membrane to the stroma. I like to think of it like those little brass clips that you and I used to use on our papers that you'd spread or like molly clips you'd put in a, in a wall to hang a, a picture. Um, you've got to have hemidesmosomes that penetrate through that basement membrane and anchor that epithelium down to the stroma. If you don't have that, the, all those cells that are, are uh, replicating can't really hang on. And we found that in some of these indolent ulcer cases, there's even a hyaline membrane that's uh, a glassy type membrane that's pre preventing healing. Um, so if you took cytology on one of these, which I definitely would on a recheck visit of a superficial ulcer that was not healing, you will see normal cells. You won't see neutrophils. You won't see pathogens. That is um, good justification for some debridement. And it's usually recommended that you start with a gentle debridement. So you can do that with sterile cotton buds. Uh, just keep um, uh, throwing away the cotton buds as they become wet with the tear film until you've rubbed away as much of the unhealthy epithelium as you can. And you can imagine that you may be disrupting that hyaline membrane if it happens to be there. Um, I would, again, use the broad spectrum topicals and the least toxic to the ocular surface are triple antibiotic or erythromycin. I would definitely use an anticollagenase, that would be serum usually in my hands, and some atropine to dilate the pupil and NSAIDs as needed for any discomfort. So these can be a little bit of problematic because they they require multiple checks and they can get expensive, even though they don't tend to be a huge problem for the horse. So first you start with a gentle debridement and then in if it's smaller, when you go back to check it a week later, I would just give it more time. However, if there was no change, I would repeat my cytology just to make sure I wasn't getting into a, an infection. And I would consider either doing another um, cotton bud debridement or in my hands, I would probably move to what's called diamond burr debridement. Or if that's not something that you're comfortable with, you could even consider referring the horse to someone who had one of those little devices um, and uh, have them do that. What a diamond burr is, it, it sounds very fancy, but really it's just a tiny, tiny little rotating Dremel. Um, and there are, it's about three, the, the tip of it is about three millimeters. They're not terribly um, expensive, maybe $150. Um, there's little diamond chips. It doesn't sparkle. It's, I don't know, <laughs> organic diamonds or something on the, on the burr. And it's battery operated, looks kind of like a large lipstick, and the burr rotates and very gently debrides the ocular surface. And that is often enough to induce healing. But these can take a while to, to come around. Okay, so one of the things not being from the Northeast, you mentioned burdock bristles get embedded in maybe the eyelid or something. So can you tell me about those? 
Yeah, that's actually an incre- very common thing that we see. I'm, I'm from Rochester, New York, and I would say anyone in the Northeast, probably down to um, the Middle South, uh, knows these pesty plants because they seem to love pastures. And uh, the burrs are little round. Uh, they actually were the inspiration for Velcro, I understand, because they stick to your pants if you're if you're hiking. Um, and they have uh, little bristles on the end, on the ends of their star-like um, spheres. And even the bristles have bristle, extra bristles on top of them. So they really can can stick like a tick. And horses uh, often present with their manes or their tails tangled with these things. So that's a, that's your first clue. Um, and the, the burdock um, buds in the fall. So we tend to see these in the fall. And I think I said that there are some ulcers that don't present with pain. And uh, sometimes these don't because what I find is that the bristle has gotten embedded in the the conjunctiva of the third eyelid and it probably was somewhat painful originally but it seems to get semi-buried and because that almost the third eyelid almost acts as a bandage over the area that that bristle is scratching back and forth over um, these these horses it's not unusual for them to present very comfortable and you're called just because the owner happens to see this white or pink area when when the third eyelid flashes. What I do with these, uh, I basically just remove the irritant. And that's tricky just because horses don't love having their third eyelids worked on. Uh, You can get the bristles in other portions of the eye too, like the upper eyelid, lower eyelid, but the third eyelid is most common. I sedate them enough that I can grab hold of that third eyelid gently and evert it. And almost always, I never seem to be able to see the actual bristle. They're tiny, unless I see it on on a microscope. But what I do see is on the inside of the mucous membrane of that third eyelid, I see the vessels growing like a map. Um, and they will be very intense in one area. And that's the area that I target for my scraping. And I have a little trick. I just take a hemostat, simple hemostat, and I open it up and I uh, open it up all the way, spread it, and I use the jaw of the hemostat to abrade that third eyelid um, until it bleeds. That seems to be just the perfect tool. It's not sharp, but it's just um, uh, rough enough that it will uh, sweep the burdock away from it. And then I follow up by wrapping a piece of sterile gauze around a finger um, and uh, wiping the inside of that third eyelid or whatever area I'm, I'm debriding with that too to sweep any, any remnants away. That usually takes care of it. Sometimes you have to see them a second time. Uh, and then I'll also debride the area on the cornea that's affected. Wow, so that's, that's uh, something that, to keep in mind as, as you're uh, practicing in those areas. So corneal ulcers, I hear, sometimes can involve mineral deposits in the cornea. So can, that really sounds bad. So how do you know if mineral is present and what's it called and what do you do about it? Well, um, your, your readers are probably kind of scratching their heads here because we're going, um, the, the veterinarians tend to immediately think that any corneal ulcer that looks nasty, nasty and is at all chronic and um, is bothering the horse 
is infected. And we're, we're starting here with our discussion of issues that are non-infectious. They aren't the most common ones, but they're ones that I definitely want your listeners to know about. Because as someone who sees a lot of referral cases, what I often see in a case like this, which is called calcific keratopathy, is a horse that may have seen a veterinarian five or six times for a nasty eye uh, irritation and uh, the treatment has just been antibiotic roulette when really there's an underlying cause that with cytology and a careful exam uh, we might have diagnosed in the in the beginning and been able to um, institute more effective treatment so that's a little aside but let me tell you about this mineral problem which is it's not common but it's not rare either I see it in um, Appaloosas mostly because because Appaloosas are so prone to uveitis. I see it in horses that have gotten a lot of um, steroid treatment for whatever their other problem is. And sometimes I just see it and I don't have an explanation for it. Or the horses had something like immune-mediated keratitis. But uh, characteristics of calcific keratopathy, which is just what it sounds like, calcium mineralization embedded within the cornea, is that you'll see little specks or white lines on either the central or the inferior cornea or both. If you do a cytology on one of these, you actually can hear and feel the mineral. Um, it will, you'll hear a little grating sound and it will feel gritty. Um, the crystals are embedded in either the epithelium or the anterior stroma or sometimes both. If you stain a slide that has mineral on it, it takes up the blue stain of the diffquick, so they're basophilic, so they look blue, and they look like crystals. Uh, the fluorescein stain can sometimes adhere to ones that stick out of the surface a little bit, and often the horses get these little punctate ulcers around the crystals. Um, these are not something that you can just cure, but you have to know something about managing them. And they will present one, way, one of two ways. Either they'll present with no pain and not a lot of ulceration. And those you can often treat by doing what's called chelation of the minerals with a simple solution of EDTA twice a day. You can either have an ointment compounded at a strength between one and 3%. I generally order 1% because I find, I find it can be a little bit um, irritating. Or you can take one of your EDTA blood tubes, your purple top tubes, put sterile water in it, fill it halfway full, and that's about a 1% solution if the horse tolerates eye drops. Give those twice a day. If the horse presents painful, you want to treat with broad-spectrum anti-infectives because these are just like little pits that uh, like to attract bacteria. They're usually not severely infected, but there's some pathogen growth on the surface. And then also uh, some kind of non-steroidals for a few weeks, uh, but or banamine, your choice. And then once it's quieted down some, then you want to debride these to try to get all the um, mineral that uh, hasn't been taken care of out. 
Um, you may need to chip it out with a scalpel blade. And these cases are the second kind of cases that I use my diamond burr on. So I use that little rotating Dremel to basically sand off the upper layers of the cornea to remove the calcium. Uh, definitely you would discontinue your corticosteroids and then you would treat with your topical EDTA, either the one, um, one to 3% is what's recommended. I usually go with 1%, 2% at the most, um, or your, your purple top tube with uh, diluted with water. Um, if occasionally you're going to get some of these cases that are severe and you're not going to help with that kind of therapy, in that case, you may need to refer those for what's called a superficial keratectomy, which would be removing all the epithelium in the affected area and the upper layers of the stroma and letting the cornea heal and kind of start over again. So you'd be removing the mineral with your surgical debridement. Wow. Okay. So that's something I'd never heard of before. So I hope our veterinary audience really caught on to that one. Today's Disease to Shore podcast is sponsored by the Prestige line of influenza vaccines from Merck Animal Health. There's a fine line in influenza protection. Only Prestige contains Florida 13, the most current influenza vaccine strain available. Prestige delivers advanced influenza protection against the most relevant flu strains circulating today. Get the upper hand on influenza with prestige flu-containing vaccines. Learn more at MerckAnimalHealthUSA.com. You mentioned eosinophilic keratitis. So it can involve, I think you said, an allergic reaction, possibly to insects or parasites. So what distinguishes this and how do you treat it? Uh, this is a, um, a, a condition that uh, my, optimal, optimal, <laughs> my specialist friends are seeing more and more commonly, and I'm also seeing it commonly in the Northeast. Um, the cases occur in the summer or the fall, and uh, I find that the farms that they occur on are often my really nice farms that have a beautiful wooded border and a forest outside of their fence, but there may be some wet areas on the farm, and uh, certain farms are prone to having cases um, in, in their herds recur, so there's some something on the premises that's triggering this. We just don't know what. You may see it on multiple horses on the same site. Uh, this is one of those situations where sometimes the horses present without pain, and sometimes they present with pain. But definitely, you know, something is going on because the lids tend to get extremely swollen. And there, this is one type of um, problem where there tends to be a caseous discharge, so white, cheesy stuff on the face. Uh, it's not unusual to see both eyes affected. That's a pretty good clue. And whatever lesions there are begin on the limbus. You're never going to see an EK, I'm going to call this, um, start in the center of the eye. You're going to see it begin on the limbus. And you may see these yellow, um, almost chalky packs, plaques um, uh, on the border of the limbus, and if it's got, if it's chronic at all, there may be heavy vascularization. Not always, but you can see that. Um, typically, the areas that are affected have a really dull gray appearance, 
and the staining is variable. So you really, this is one of those situations where you absolutely need the cytology to confirm, but you can have your diagnosis that night. You want to really talk to the client if you find one of these, because these can be tough. They are not um, quick to heal. Some of them take months and they're kind of prone to developing secondary infections, sometimes even fungal infections, which are a whole nother nightmare. Mm. What you want to do when you're treating these is reduce those plaques. You basically want to get rid of as much of the inflammatory load as possible. So once I know I have this condition, I'll go back as quickly as I can and either use the blunt end of a scalpel to chip off as much of the abnormal um, tissue as I can, or because I have experience in judging which cases need this and I have experience with this uh, instrument, I will also use my diamond burr to debride uh, this. And we definitely have good experimental evidence that shows that diamond burr debridement does hasten healing. Um, we always are worried about steroids around eyes, but this is, this is one condition where you are going to be thinking about suppressing an immune reaction. And most of us do turn to oral corticosteroids for this condition, uh, as long as a horse can tolerate them. In other words, not cushionoid, not laminitic. I start with a single dose of between 20 and 40 milligrams of DEX for a typical horse, either oral or uh, uh, injectable. Um, that's a single dose. And then I go to oral after that. And I taper it down every three days um, with from a 20 milligram per day dose down to probably an eight milligram per day dose over the period that I'm giving, um, giving the steroids. I have occasionally used topical corticosteroids for a very short time, but only if I can really keep tabs on that horse and only after I'm already feeling like I'm starting to turn the corner with healing because there have been instances where horses that were given topical corticosteroids have gotten fungal infections. So don't do this lightly. Pain management as needed. And pretty much all of these horses are also going to need atropine as a midriatic and uh, serum to um, help the um, uh, help denature any collagenases that are floating around in the surface of the eye. I would use topical broad spectrum antibiotics and I would treat any secondary infection that I identified, which I would need my cytology uh, to do that. Um, I advise that any horse that's ever had EK live in a fly mask during the warmer parts of the year. And definitely I use a fly mask to manage them when they're being treated for the problem. Um, and there have been a few really severe cases that have needed to be referred for a superficial keratectomy. Wow, that's that's something I really didn't understand or realize. So, okay, so one of the things you commented on is sometimes the corneal surface is disrupted due to like a blistering. It follows corneal swelling or edema. So how is that different from some of the other conditions you've mentioned? Again, this is a condition you don't see that often, but I'm mentioning it because um, it's, it's so... Um, the diagnosis is missed so often. 
Um, and this all traces back to the complex physiology of the eye, which is beyond this podcast. But just to simplify things, uh, remember we talked about the layers of the eye in the very beginning, and we talked about the epithelium, the basement membranes, the stroma, and then we talked about that odd single layer, the endothelium, that's on the inner boundary layer of the eye. It's a single layer of cells, and it abuts on on the anterior chamber and the endothelium's job is to keep the stroma dehydrated and that single layer of cells is constantly pumping water out using a sodium potassium ATPase pump mechanism within the cell until it's not and the endothelium becomes dysfunctional in cases of glaucoma in some cases of trauma, in, in some cases of, of, of um, uveitis, and, and sometimes for reasons we don't know. But whenever it's not functioning well, the water floods into that section of the eye and you see what looks like a blue fog, either covering the entire cornea or one region of it. And if that swells enough, just think about it. It blisters just the way your skin would swell if you burned it and you had a lot of edema in your in your uh, skin and it, it blistered. So this is a situation where, yes, the epithelium is ulcerated, but the ulcer kind of came from the inside out. The treatment decisions for this are complex and often the prognosis is guarded. Definitely you want to treat any underlying uh, glaucoma and, and or uveitis. Um, you can try some osmotic agents like 5% 5, 5 sodium chloride, which is also known as Muro 128. It's an over-the-counter uh, medication for the eye to pull out the water. And um, broad-spectrum antibiotics, uh, depending on the situation, you may use systemic steroids or, or non-steroidals, um, or you may need to refer this horse because there are some surgical uh, options. But the major reason I wanted to mention this is just because I think the awareness of this problem is low in veterinary medicine. And if you have one of these cases, you're going to do your client and the horse a big favor by having a frank discussion that this is not a good problem, it's not easily treatable, and it may be storm clouds on the horizon for the vision of this eye long term. Wow, and I, and I thought the biggest worry we had in ulcers was infections. So, um, but you, you did explain the conditions we just covered that didn't involve infection, but you said when we first started talking that bacterial or fungal infections do occur and can be serious. So how do you diagnose and treat those? Okay, well, this gets to the root of what most veterinarians are thinking when they go to see an eye that looks bad. And they should be thinking this because if you have a chronic eye with a lot of infiltrate that's, um, that's painful, um, it, odds are it is infected. But before you jump to that conclusion, I do want each person listening to make sure that they've checked for the conditions that we just talked about with cytology. Um, so what does a, an infected eye look like? Well, I want to stress that you cannot tell what drug is best to use on an eye just by the appearance of it. Um, but it is true that most infected ulcers will have a yellow or a white infiltrate. 
And if they've been around for any significant amount of time, many of them may show either deep or superficial vascularization with the vessels growing to the area of the ulcer. And this would indicate chronicity because the blood vessels don't even start coming until three to five days after, after the problem starts. So if you can see them, you're definitely looking at something that is weeks old. Um, a loss of the surrounding corneal transparency, it may look very foggy. And of course, a severe corneal ulcer that's got keratomalacia where that stromal tissue, that, that uh, middle layer of the sandwich um, of the one millimeter credit card depth is melting. Uh, you can't miss that. That looks like uh, gelatin literally drooping onto the, the surface of the face. The pain of an infected ulcer is often extremely severe. The horse may, be, may have the eye shut. And whenever you're presented with an eye like this, absolutely, you should submit a culture uh, to identify what's going on and um, also request a sensitivity if it's a bacterial problem. Um, but your biggest help in diagnosing an infected ulcer is going to be your cytology. And you want to jump to that right away on your initial exam and prepare the owner that you're also going to be wanting to take cytology on serial exams. The debridement is important. And kind of the beauty of this is that the process of taking a, a cytology sample is really the same thing as debriding the, um, the, the, the problem. So you get your sample and then you just continue with your scalpel blade or your, um, until you have removed all the loose tissue that you can possibly get off to reduce your pathogen load. Uh, a very severe infected ulcer may require hospitalization hospitalization, either at your clinic if you've got one or referral. Um, but at minimum, if it's infected and severe, you need to recheck it every three to seven days until healed. So again, a frank conversation with the owner about expense and commitment for treatment is in order. Um, some of these, I'm sure this is no surprise to your listeners, uh, may take weeks to months to heal. And I always think it's better to prepare the client for the worst because you just don't know how quickly you're going to get the problem under control and then celebrate if it, if it turns around quickly with your appropriate treatment. Um, a lot of ulcers, even when you get them, get the infection under control, you still are dealing with a pretty serious tissue defect. And one rule to stress to your client and to yourself is that this ulcer isn't going to heal. Some ulcers aren't going to heal until the vessels have fully grown into that tissue bed. bed. And the vessel progress, um, the fastest the vessels can grow is about one millimeter per day. So um, if they're, if the, the lesion is in the middle of the cornea, that's, oh, that's probably about 13 or 14 millimeters uh, from the limbus. And your vessels have grown to six to seven millimeters in, they're still a week away from actually reaching the edge. Really severe cases with melting, are going to need treatment every one to two hours. Uh, and that's not with antibiotics usually, but with um, anti-collagenases, your serum, your acetylcysteine, or your EDTA. 
Um, and if they're severe, your anti-infectives are going to need to be given six to 12 times per day. So that is an enormous commitment on somebody's part. Yeah. You, you have to use solutions to medicate the ocular surface in a severe infection. Ointments aren't going to cut it. And if it isn't, if a problem isn't responding on your recheck, you've got to reevaluate your treatment plan and either change it or consider referral if the client can afford that, because some of these are just nightmares to manage. Um, the less severe cases, which are going to be what most of your listeners um, lose sleep over, but uh, you're not going to have too many of the super severe cases. They're still going to need intense care, but it's a little bit more reasonable for the average person's schedule, generally four to six times per day treatment with multiple drugs. It sounds like treating some of these corneal problems involve a real polypharmacy. So, can you summarize, just because we've gone over a lot, the major drugs that are used? Sure, I'm happy to do that. And I think I'm going to slow down here and just make sure, because I know this is where your listeners are really going to prick up their ears because they've got an arsenal in their trucks and sometimes it's hard to decide just what to choose. It is common when I'm treating uh, an infected ulcer uh, one that I've confirmed on cytology for me to have that horse on five medications given at variable uh, schedules. So, um, but I'm, I'm doing it rationally. I'm not just reaching for everything I've got uh, like a shotgun. I, I know whatever it is that I've seen on my slide that I'm trying to target and I'm using careful therapy to try to attack it from a variety of angles. So let's start with your simpler problems. Uh, I think we're all aware right now of antibiotic resistance and the fact that we should not reach for our big guns right, right from the beginning for every little uh, erosion or abrasion. You, you want to conscientiously choose um, use your smaller guns for one and secondly, your least toxic drugs. Few of us think about the fact that anything you put on the corneal surface is going to have some degree of toxicity, um, but, but it does, uh, anything we put on, even petroleum. So um, I, I'm gonna make you aware of what are, what are the least toxic and the most toxic things. So if you're dealing with one of these simple problems or one of the problems we discussed early in the podcast where infection is not your major problem, you're just dealing with something else and trying to prevent a secondary infection, you want to choose a, um, a simple broad spectrum agent. And the best ones to recommend are <clears throat> triple antibiotic, uh, tetracycline, or erythromycin. We don't very often think about erythromycin in, in horses or tetracycline, but both of those are very um, legitimate uh, surface products to use, and they're available in ointment form. And ointment is the best thing to use on a simple problem because it has good retention time in the ocular uh, tear film, and also they're a lot easier to get in than, than drops. Um, those you would uh, administer three to five, three to four times per day. 
Um, tetracycline actually has a little uh, extra bonus in that uh, we know that systemically it has some um, anti-inflammatory um, properties um, in the body. Uh, doxycycline, minocycline, any of those do. Well, tetracycline also has some anti-inflammatory um, properties on the surface of the eye as well. If you feel like you need fungal coverage, and if you're if you're practicing in uh, a southern state where the fungal problems are so common, um, you could consider something that came in a cream form, um, silver sulfadiazine, uh, which is off-label use, um, but a lot of us have used it. Itraconazole or myconazole cream, if you if you do need the, the fungal coverage, and that would be again three to four times per day. Don't don't do that on simple problems in the Northeast very often, but you might in the South. Okay, let's move to our larger guns though. Let's, let's uh, talk a little bit about these infected ulcers that are so scary and are gonna need treatment for such a long time. In those types of cases, you are definitely going to need a subpalpebral lavage system. Now you're gonna get a lot of argument back and forth from the client. Um, oh, I can do eye medications, my horse is so cooperative, Etc. Etc. And sometimes um, you you uh, are persuasive in that conversation, and our um, the client gives you permission to put in an SPL right away. And sometimes you're not, and you have to let the client find out for themselves that uh, they're not being terribly effective um, with this this kind of a medical medicine um, uh, regimen unless they've got something that can direct directly enter the, the tear film like an SPL. And the example I would give is that lots of times clients will argue with me and say, oh, I can, I can get this done. And I'll go back to recheck the horse and we'll have a meiotic pupil. And I will put in an SPL because the client is exhausted and needs to sleep and finally says, sure, you can do it. And one treatment of atropine through the SPL and the pupil will dilate. So you know that uh, you need that for efficacy. Um, enough off my soapbox there. But uh, anyways, here's some of your, um, your choices. Chloramphenicol, um, and I, I should should say here that if you've got just a slightly infected eye uh, that the horse is cooperative, you might try to go with chloramphenicol ointment um, uh, and, and see if that gets the problem turned around. But uh, chloramphenicol is a static um, antibiotic and it's broad spectrum. It gets both gram positive and gram negative. And it's advised to be given four to six times per day. And it's very non-toxic to the ocular surface. However, we do worry about it a little bit with clients because of uh, oral chloramphenicol being associated with um, aplastic anemia. So it's good to advise people to wear gloves if using this product. Um, the next group of drugs to talk about are in solution eye drop form, and they are in FDA um, uh, vehicles that um, you can order from pharmacies or suppliers, and that's the fluoroquinolones. All the fluoroquinolones, which uh, the common ones used in veterinary medicine are ciprofloxacin, ofloxacin, and moxifloxacin, are bactericidal. 
And they're broad spectrum. They get both gram negatives and gram positives. Not all the gram negatives and positives, but they, they get a lot of them. And those are generally given six to 12 times per day. 12 times would be for a very serious infection. Uh, the next drug to be aware of is um, something not very many veterinarians use, but I certainly can't exist without it. And that's cefazolin, C-E-F-A-Z-O-L-I-N, cefazolin. Very inexpensive. You buy it in uh, one gram lyophilized bottles, or if you don't, uh, if you can't buy it quickly, almost any small animal hospital would have it, and it's only a few dollars. So I'm sure they'd sell you some. And you compound it with I do I use sterile saline to a dilution of 50 milligrams per mL, and I use that six to 12 times per day. Again, it's, it's bactericidal, and if I've got something that I think might be a strep or a staph, it's terrific against gram positives. Uh, then your antibiotics that are best against gram negatives would be tobramycin and gentamicin. But I do want to make us all aware that gentamicin is epitheliotoxic on the ocular surface. I haven't used gentamicin in many years. If I'm going to reach for, for one of these drugs, I'm going to use tobramycin. Um, and those would be used uh, four to six times per day. Um, the next class of antifungals we move to is a short list because it's for antifungals and we don't have very many antifungals to choose from. Um, the one that we're using most often right now is voriconazole. That also comes in a lyophilized powder and you want to use that, you want to dilute that um, when you open it for your case by adding 19 milliliters of sterile water to make it um, a, about a 20 milliliter, 20 milliliter volume of a 1% solution. It should be refrigerated. Um, I would not use it any more than four to six times per day six times to start generally, and then I drop to four times a day. Um, should be refrigerated. It keeps best in glass, so I do not draw voriconazole up in plastic syringes. I draw it up as needed for a case. And then you're always going to need a midriatic, um, and the easiest, one, the best one to use is atropine. If it's a simple case, um, one of those erosions or just um, a medium problem, like some of the ones we discussed in the beginning, uh, once a day atropine is adequate, sometimes even every other day. However, if, it's, if the pupil is severely meiotic, you may need to use atropine two to three times per day. And if you're doing that, make sure you're checking the other eye, because if you're ever getting too high a level where you're worrying about gut motility, you might see the opposite pupil dilate. But in my hands, that really doesn't happen in the field. And then um, anticollagenase agents are the foundation of treating the disruption of the cornea that happens in a severe infection. Um, and that disruption in its, in its worst manifestation is when the cornea melts, um, but in its lesser but still very serious uh, manifestation, it's, it's a condition called keratomalacia, where the stroma is just, it's not exactly melting, but it's definitely degenerating.
degenerating and you get um, kind of a gummy situation on the surface of the eye where the ulcer is getting deeper and deeper because of it's basically being destroyed by the body itself. So your anticollagenase agents, uh, the common ones, most common one that we use is serum. And uh, the way I get serum is I take four or five uh, red top tubes and let them sit at least an hour. Um, you have, that's important because they won't spin down unless they sit for an hour. Then spin, spin them down and just um, decant off the serum on the top and keep it refrigerated. Or you could even uh, put it in the freezer um, and use as needed, um, just have one active tube at a time. Um, EDTA, just like we talked about with the mineral mineralized problem in the cornea, you can make an excellent anticollagenase by taking the purple top tube, filling it halfway up with sterile water and using that uh, through your SPL. Um, acetylcysteine is a, is a drug, and it's an injectable drug that is sold for respiratory use. It comes as a 20% solution. It smells like rotten eggs. Don't worry if you smell that. Um, but the 20% solution is a little harsh on the eye. So I always cut the 20% down to either 5 or 10%. Uh, with sterile water. Uh, and I, I mentioned before that any topical tetracycline does have some anticollagenase effects, uh, but that would not be something I would probably use in a really severe infection. Well, gosh, thank you very much for that rundown on the drugs. But one of the things I want to go back to is you mentioned the SPLs or the subpalpebral, and I know I always say that wrong, lavage <laughs> systems, but they scare me to death. So how can these devices be used on the farm, and can horse owners really manage them? Um, the answer to that is yes and yes. And here I'm going to refer your, your uh, listeners to another treatise that's in the AAEP proceedings, or you can also find it on the Myla International website. Myla International is the company that sells the SPLs that we all use, and they have posted this article uh, one click away on the internet. Um, and again, it's something that I wrote, and I wrote it as a practical guide to tell uh, all of us road warriors. Um, I, I work by myself most of the the time I don't have a lot of, of help and I know how difficult it can be to do things on, on your own in the field and that article is full of tips for how you can get this done uh, with just one or two assistants and um, in a farm situation and it is not difficult it is time consuming however um, and it is fairly expensive so it's something to invest a little training yourself in um, the challenge, the, the insertion is not hard. Managing the tube in most horses is not hard. If you take care at the insertion appointment to really secure it very snugly, and I use what I call a belts and suspenders um, method of, of uh, securing them. I kind of double secure them just because horses are hard in the stable. But the big challenge is the frequency of administration by the owner at home. And you really need to be kind of candid and say, okay, the tube isn't going to fix your horse. What's going to fix your horse is the medication that goes through the tube. And have you got the resources to do this? Um, and and um, I guess that's all I'll say about that. Okay. So 
I really appreciate all that you've shared with us today, but have you got any final words of wisdom that you would like to share? Well, we sure covered a lot of turf today, and I'm appreciative of the chance to raise awareness of some of these outlier types of uh, ulcers that um, perhaps uh, your listeners will be able to diagnose a little bit better now, and also the chance to emphasize how to treat severe infections. But my final bullet points would just be to make sure that all of us educate our owners to call right away for the evaluation of sore eyes. A lot of these problems can be headed off at the pass if they're seen early. Um, if you're the veterinarian, make sure you look at both eyes because sometimes there's some sort of an underlying issue that's going to manifest in the other eye that's going to explain a little bit more what's happening in the obviously um, affected one. Uh, take photographs. Every single one of us has an iPhone or an Android phone in our pocket, or at least in our trucks. And it's very easy for us to convince ourselves either that the eye is getting better when it's not, or even that the eye is getting worse when truly it's getting better. And we wouldn't go to a, a lame horse without taking an, uh, an x-ray or doing an ultrasound. I would look at photography just like that with the eye. And you can't judge positive progress or be informed of negative progress without something to compare it to. Um, do cytology on your more severe cases and learn to read and interpret it the same day. And the final uh, just word of wisdom is if the eye is worsening or if the owner is cannot treat it, this could be something that would threaten sight or even threaten the integrity of the globe. So de definitely urge referral if that is at all uh, an option. Um, complex or severely infected ulcers are, are not easy for anybody to, to treat, and they may require around-the-clock treatment um, in order to save the site and save the eye. Well, Dr. Dwyer, we really appreciate you being here. I always learn something new, and I know our veterinarian listeners are going to be able to take some of these tips and put them to use probably tomorrow, or if not today. So, and thank our audience for listening to Disease Du and a really special thanks to our 2022 sponsor, Merck Animal Health, for allowing us to bring these podcasts to you. And so you can listen to Disease Du Jour podcasts on your favorite podcast platform, or you can go to equimanagement.com and we will have some links out to some of the things that Dr. Dwyer mentioned. So you might want to check out that article. You can listen anywhere, go read the article for the references. And if you have any questions or suggestions, send an email to me at kbrown, that's the letter K Brown at equinenetwork.com. Disease Du Jour is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network, LLC.